0: the advent of climate change, the question of food security comes up, and not just that, but with a whole bunch of other factors like ecological overdraft and a very fair amount of, of messy bit in the unrest, particularly at the political level, it's very challenging for people to stay well in the world. If you look at it from a larger scale, we've got 7 point something billion people in the world, and one of the most disturbing aspects of that is that we waste a lot of food, We waste something like $31 billion worth of food in Canada. 47% of that is in the home. Worldwide, it's $680 billion U.S. in industrial countries. That's a massive amount of, of food wastage. My name is Donna Jones. I'm the host of the Insight to Action podcast. It is a program that is designed for both business innovation innovators and also for helping to shape an understanding of the evolution of consciousness in the world today. Michael Mole is with me today. He's got a startup company which is called My Green Spaces and his company has tells really I think this the tale that that is inc- incredibly interesting for everyone who would like to take some small steps to look after themselves from a food point of view, but also from a wellness point of view. So, Michael, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Donna.
0: Let's get started with talking about how did your startup get started? What was the inspiration behind it?
1: My startup was inspired by some actions I took with my girlfriend, now fiancé. But originally, I guess, the really was inspired from my childhood. I grew up in Kenya. My grandparents live in the city on a beautiful five-acre property that they refused to subdivide as everybody rushed to create townhomes. And uh, they actually have a combined around 1,000 acres of farmland spread across the country. The biggest farm being about 700 acres, a meat ranch, but they have flower farms, strawberry farms, traditional cash crops like corn, bean, maize, etc., Um, And so I was so lucky to grow up in the city on five acres with avocados and guava and corn in the backyard and berries. And, you know, I didn't take it for granted, but I definitely felt blessed and that was my normal. And then I came to Canada to study business and my minor in sustainability. I came here on a scholarship and, you know, really opened my mind to the challenges that we had globally in sustainability and even in the West. And so I started growing food with my girlfriend. At the time, we grew food for four years, and it was amazing. We started with our little patio, had a small herb planter that had mint, um, oregano, thyme, basil, and the mint just cannibalized and took over, so that was our first little mistake. had to have a little mojito party to get rid of all of the mint. What was amazing with that garden is we were able to really meet our community. We had it in the front yard of our apartment building, and we got to meet all of our neighbors. And that was really something special to me to see what the power of gardening was secondary. First was we were able to grow food for a month and a half and eat out of the garden for that month and a half, barely buying anything from the grocery store, maybe some tomatoes. And so that was that was really a powerful moment. And then learning that a lot of people coming into our garden, because it was in the front yard of our building, were either struggling or were interested in getting involved, or were too scared to get involved. And I just started seeing a pattern of fear and barriers and support need for new gardeners. And I also started noticing the age range. You know, like a lot of young people were getting interested in growing their food, just like myself. So I thought, you know, how would we help lots of people do this? I already had experience with startups, uh, starting two startups where we developed apps, and so I thought an app would be a great way to have a master garden gardener in your pocket that could go around and help millions of people grow their own food. And so I sketched it out and then I went forward towards building a team in 2014.
0: You know, I appreciate the backstory on that. What's Where were you in Kenya? What city? Was it Nairobi or? I
1: was in Nairobi, Kenya.
0: Yeah, I've been there. I- I know that city, so that's remarkable that you were that that that's the experience you had growing up in that city. Because the other side of that city is quite noisy, like any city, for that matter. I too grew up in the country, and we had what was then termed an acre of garden, and we lived on that all winter long. And so, I, I really appreciate what you're doing with this. Now, what are you finding as bringing drawing people to gardening? You know, I mean, first of all, you've talked about conne- connection, which is incredible you know, person-to-person connection as opposed to connection through um, Facebook or the tech. What what are you finding are the values of your client base and those people that are stepping up to, to do some gardening?
1: Yeah, so we we really find that different people have different whys. Why am I gardening? And, you know, we say that you might come in for a different reason, but you're going to get out with, uh, you know, majority of the benefits. And so it's, it's like yoga as well. And so what we really found was people wanted one to be connected back to their food, you know. They didn't know how it was grown. They didn't know where it was coming from. They didn't know how to grow it. They didn't know what good food is. And so that yearning to be reconnected and knowing that there's something, you know, off with our food system. Not all of it, but some things. So that that internal desire is what really gets me excited is that we're not pulling people into this, you know, people are are starting to discover that they want to do this. The second thing is having that skill set. I think there's some people who, you know, gardening is an amazing hobby. People who do it are very passionate about spreading. And uh, so people are looking at, I want to pick up a skill this year. I want to be outside more. I want to eat local. I want to impact the environment positively And so you see all these trends, vegetarianism, veganism, environmental movements, conscious movements are adding to people to say, how can I be more mindful? How can I be, I can make a better impact on the planet. And then, you know, they funnel into gardening as one of these options as well. The other thing is growing with your kids. People really find it, you know, to transfer that knowledge. You know, maybe it skipped a generation for them. They grew up with their grandparents or parents, and then they became city workers, you know, the biggest thing that we found so far is it hasn't been about saving money. There is a subset of people who are doing that, but the initial drive of the early adopters, at least what we're seeing, is is that passion. Is those, they want to live out their values, they want to reconnect, they want to be positive on the planet, and then saving money happens. But, you know, as we both, you know, will discuss it, it's not just your private savings that happens, it's, it's the net benefit on the whole system when you grow locally, when you grow your own, when you grow your community. Um, and I think that's those numbers we don't really take into account a lot.
0: No, exactly. That, that is absolutely true. Tell me more about how gardening contributes to well-being, both personally and connect you know, in, on a community basis. What have you seen there?
1: So what, what we've seen that's really exciting is that gardens grow community and gardens grow people. And so, as you garden, you become a better person in that it is a growth experience in leadership, in compassion, consistency. And so, you show up every day to your garden, you put in care and attention, and the garden is a great feedback loop for that. The second thing is just the, the sheer mindfulness of having a living system, a complex system, lots of moving parts, and having to be present with that. And think through it. In fact, they did a TED talk. This gentleman had 30 years of research and he asked, you know, why do people live to be 100 centurions? And there was a great, great correlation between that and people having gardens. Because when you have a garden, you're outside more, it means you're social more, you have something to get up for in the morning on the weekends, probably eating more locally, you're probably eating healthier, and you feel that great connection. So uh, so that's what we've seen so far in, 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 our, in our customers and in the research that's coming from around the world.
0: It makes a lot of sense, because I know in France it was originally a legal requirement to have a garden in your backyard. And when I'm, when I'm in France, I'm visiting small villages where the, the 95-year-old man is still tending his garden in his little backyard. <laughs> it's, it's just a beautiful thing. It's, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing.
1: It's beautiful. And and, and I think, you know, France is one of the great examples of, you know, an agricultural system that's still very, very rooted. Because what I know, you know, from my experience in Kenya is that we were all farmers. We were all farmers for a very long time, majority of people. And so slowly as we industrialized different parts of the world, we stepped away from that. But we see the the great impact that's had on communities. And so the future is not let's go back to land per se, it's how do we bring that into the cities? Because the rural urban migration is massive. Yeah, you know, it's it seen less in the West because it you know, it happened a while back, but in places like Kenya, you know, it's, it's a mass exodus uh, from the rural areas. And so when, you know, with more than half of the world population living in cities, that's our big challenge is that cities need to feed themselves within themselves. And it's completely possible because they are more, lawns in America than cornfields. And so the hypothesis is using the capacity and the space that we have will show us how we can actually create these sustainable cities and that's what's really exciting is unlocking the potential in cities and the potential in people around urban agriculture.
0: Tremendous opportunity. The other thing that this what you've just said though triggers for me is the transportation. I know certainly in this area if there is an interruption to the transportation system which, and because we're on the coast, we're, we're susceptible to this lovely earthquake that's sitting off the, <laughs> on the west side of Canada and the United States. We have three days before the shelves are bare. Are other cities in that same position where there is no backup, aside from what you might grow, if there's an interruption to the transportation system?
1: So that's really a really interesting point. A lot of the cities are like that because we... We built our cities based on advanced transportation. Back in the day, most cities were you know, built on very easy lead to access areas, port cities, near big river systems. But now we have towns like in Colorado that are only accessible because of the invention of like massive train systems. And so the actual food insecurity there on grains and a few other things, it's actually three weeks. Like global supply, and so the shock not only comes if some area was cut off, because I think something that's really interesting is with you know with the cut off areas is we unfortunately learned how to create relief aid for areas, and I, I mean you know during times of war in the 20th century, and we we experienced that, but when what we what we're experiencing and over time is where the supply chain itself gets affected and that is at at the point of production. So, you know, because we're so deeply interconnected, you know, rice shortages in one part of the the world causes revolutions in another part of the world. The trading of different things as commodities, so quinoa, for example, and that price fluctuating, affecting how locals can afford food there and things. So it was interesting. In in America, they had a shortage of uh, salad greens because the harvest, and there's a lot of mildew on one part of the harvest because they grow, you know, 80% of the stuff in Arizona in the winter. And we grow the rest of it in the summer in California. But because it was raining so much in California, it was delayed. And so you have this shortage. And something similar happened in two European countries. This was this February. And so America was exporting salad greens to Europe you can see how interconnected it it all is and so where the shortages can come. And so really resiliency is about growing local, having a diversified import strategy as well and just understanding that we are dependent on each other. And I don't think it's terrible to be dependent. I think interconnectivity around the world is amazing and it's opened up a lot of great things, but we just have to sort of see the risk layer involved with that as well.
0: Well, and I think inherent in that is the principle of interdependence, you know, the principle of all living things, which is the success of the one and the success of the whole are directly tied. So I think I really appreciate that that insight because it, it does give people, here's the real world experience of how our food is all connected. I know we were, my daughter and I were traveling and uh, doing a backpacking trip in Peru in 2012, <laughs> we stayed in a small village and. Uh, we walked into the kitchen, which is you know a dirt floor and, and a wooden table, and all around the inside of the kitchen were sacks of quinoa and i mean sacks of quinoa, and of course, here most other places you walk in to try and and per- purchase that and it 's expensive <laughs> so to see sacks of it and she says yeah yeah she says the she 's a you know she the mother she 's says yeah we've got enough quinoa here to feed the world you know pretty much <laughs> she but but it was just a, it was hilarious because it was an oversupply of quinoa at the in the in the kitchen whereas you know worldwide we're looking at it as uh yeah so i just i just thought that was uh, absolutely absolutely <laughs> <hilarious.
1: laughs> that's that's really funny the oversupply of quinoa in, in, that, in the one kitchen
0: in that kitchen
1: yeah exactly and you're right and it is it is how we see ourselves as a collective in the world and how we're able to move, you know, the distribution problems of, you know, we created the system. And so that's why I'm very positive because these are systems of man. And so we can change these systems for the betterment of more people. And so, you know, it's about governments and companies and private citizens cooperating and, you know, showing leadership in how we distribute wealth, how we distribute food, how we educate, etc. And I think it's a great time You know, when we first met, you know, you brought up that point is that there are companies who have been doing this, individuals have been doing this, organizations have been doing this, and now with social media and the internet, we can start seeing each other. Even if we're not in the same industry, we're in the same movement of value-driven, purpose-driven business and private citizenry in the world, we're starting to see each other and seeing that there are a lot of us around and a lot of great initiatives, and there's a lot of cause to be happy about what's happening
0: yeah, it's a very exciting time. There's absolutely no question about that. Now, the other thing that you have done that I think is is really interesting and exciting, for especially for today, is to take something that appears to rule the world, which is technology, and merge it with something that feeds the world, which is food. Let's talk a bit about how you see the interface between tech and food and, and, and connection.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a really great question. What I'm seeing so far is that Technology and the way we now have it with this very personalized device, the mobile phone, it allows us to meet people where they are. And I think that's the first thing that we realize in my green space is it's a no judgment zone of your ability to garden. I you know, I know you know from where I'm from and you know, people would make fun of you if you'd never dug in the soil or you'd never, you know, loaded some manure or fed some chickens or milked a cow or you know, those sort of things. But now we're so far removed from that in some places in the world, especially in the West, that getting to someone on their phone, they may not make it to a workshop. They may never have been to a farm, but they definitely now know how to use this really great advanced piece of technology that brings them data, lets them output data to the world and connect. And from that place, we can really start them on this journey towards becoming uh, an expert in growing food. And I, I thought that's 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 really really cool. The second thing is that technology is is being used, at least personal technology, for you know not as a distraction engine, but as a medium for messaging, advertising, etc. And in the old way, I think the you new know, the new way of, of advertising and media is, is storytelling, not interruption marketing through ads, etc. And so, you know, we haven't seen it used to its full potential. So I really see things like my green space showing the next generation that, you know, it's not just immersive game environments that, that, that are useful with technology. We can use technology to get back outside. And, you know, so when we do workshop with kids, they're able to use our app, they're able to learn in the classroom, a lot of digital media, but then we want them to be planting the soil. We want them to be setting up a physical garden. We want uh, the practical side to to get in there as well. And so I really like that fact that we're able to use the screen to get people outside.
0: I mean, I love the innovative thinking there because it does, it takes, it takes an unlikely partner, which is technology and matches it with with the goal, which is to get outside. I know in some schools they have gardens and what I've noticed about that is that they treat it as a project. So they, they don't treat it as a value. They treat it as a project. So you'll have these garden beds that will all be built out, and then you'll walk by there, and no one will have eaten the food. It, it's all gone to seed. They haven't looked after it. They haven't cared for it. So they've gotten, to, they've gotten part of the equation, but not the complete equation. And, and I think, I'm hoping anyway, and I, you know, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, but I'm hoping that, that this is about instilling values and connection to the land as much as anything else, because we've lost that in a fairly large way. Yes, and I
1: and you know really thank you for bringing that up. It, it it is it it really really is about that gardens in your on your patio on your balcony. It's it's a bit of a Trojan horse, but in a good way, is that we are seeding the opportunity for people to experience really great values around food and connection. We're bringing to them so that all their barriers have been removed, and we're showing them what a relationship, what communicating with plants and, and being there really feels like and is really about and giving them a piece of earth where they are. You know, if you're on the 37th floor of a skyscraper and you have kids there, they probably barely ever get a chance to go on the grass if they're in a downtown area or go to a school that has gravel. So really connecting people and showing them you know, what's what's possible, what is a climate? You know, if you grow indoors, completely controlled environment, which is a really great thing for food security, and we need to look, explore at all the different ways of food production, but when you grow outside with your environment, then you sync with the climate, and then you get a very, very mindful presence you start to understand, oh, that's what a hot day looks like. That's what climate change feels like when things are late. That's et cetera, et cetera. So really, really a great tool for, for doing that. We said, like I said in the beginning, gardens, you know, is a leadership challenge, gardening is. And so when you can do that first step of planting a garden, but then going back to it every time and taking care of it, is, is something that that is what unlocks your connection to the land. And it's a personal journey rather than us leaning over your shoulder. And it's a bit different to a few things that are, have you know, been exposed to young people now is that really this is your own game in your own time and the lessons that you're going to learn are going to be you to come back and show us. And so that's why I think the reverb of what we're doing is you know, we're pushing out there and, and really helping people get started and get set up. But the way people are coming back, you know, one lady who can eat out of our garden for two weeks without buying groceries, who now believes in her own skills, and capacities as a person to be with the environment, that's amazing. And what she's now going to be able to go do in her community and inspire other people, because that's what we really see is that is that the people inspire the people to, to garden. This isn't about us showing celebrities or those sort of influencers. Our key influencers are the new gardeners who are winning because they were vulnerable, they tried, they persisted, and they won.
0: Well, it's a wonderful way of looking at it. I know I've run into people in the boomer category who, when I mention that, they say, oh, it's too much trouble. I can't go to the trouble. And, and literally, they'd pave their yards. <laughs> Not quite, but, you know, they put all those stones on them so they don't have to have grass. And, and of course, people forget grass produces oxygen, so you kind of need that. But, but it's just it, it's, it's a fascinating mindset. How do, you, how do you approach that, or do you? At this point,
1: we're at early stage. You know, we have 5,000 downloads on the app. It's really exciting because we're getting on average about 40 downloads a day now organically. And we're talking to a lot of people. But these, you know, the participation in gardening right now in America, they estimated about 30 million people in the States. So, you know, just under 10% of the population. And really, that's what's growing incrementally. When we come across the people who, who don't want to garden, we see it as, you know, they may not be the people that we break down first. The main thing for that is, what is their why? What is their why not? And what would change them around? But because we're still in the early stages of helping this influx of new gardeners, because there's so many people who do want to do this, a good stat that I can draw is that, you know, there's 30 million to 40 million gardeners in the United States and Canada. But that number has been mainly the boomers and in the last 10 years an influx of about 10 million new gardeners all in the millennial generation and that's what's really driving the growth and it's all these young people who are waking up to different ideas of how they want to live and gardening is one of the things pieces in the puzzle that they want to participate in and they're going out there and they're seeking information and services that mirror the other ways that they're doing these things and so they have an app for dating, they have an app for their car share, they have blah, blah, blah. Gardening is just something that follows into that as a delivery method of how we reach these people. And so, you know, to answer the question of the people who are, are lagging behind, you know, I think that it's going to be their neighbors showing them that, hey, you know what, that that uh, paved lawn, yeah, it's, you know, that's great, but... Look what we can do and look how manageable it is for us to have, you know, three or four raised beds and this and that and etc. And I think that's where we can turn those people over. But they're definitely not. We're at the early adopter, innovator stage of, you know, really this new urban agriculture renaissance.
0: And that's the millennials. That's the millennials, right. I think that's fantastic. It's extremely exciting. And I think it counterbalances a lot of what you hear in in the business press, certainly, which is about the tech addiction and all of that stuff, so I'm I'm really delighted. You are uh, heading off to Dragon's Den, I hear.
1: Yep, we're heading off to Dragon's Den next week. I'm going to be in Toronto, and we're going to be filming on Wednesday in the Den. So it's going to be really exciting.
0: And do you know when that will be broadcast?
1: You don't get guaranteed to be on the show because it is a live it is a live filming. I mean, they do, you know, they cut it together, but it's not, you know, it is, it is what happens in the den. We're just really excited to participate in this. It's an honor to be, to be called out and we, you know, we took the chance on it. And I think it's going to be a great experience uh, all around. So I'm, I'm excited to, to, to hear their opinions and their inputs and to just to engage with them. So I think they're, they do have a great range. They have millennials and boomers, and it's going to be great just to have that discussion around what does food mean to them, what does urban agriculture mean to them, what is you know the growing and being a gardener, and learning about their challenges and ideas and then seeing how what we've done fuses into that. And I think there's going to be a, an exciting moment for them.
0: Well, I think it's tremendous. Now, we haven't talked about Gen X. Where do they fit in the demographic of gardeners?
1: Yeah, so I think that's, you know, the one thing with the with the demographics is that, you know, we say millennial, the Gen X really is, depending on how old their kids are, it's different motivations. So, for example, we have um, boomers who are downsizing, and so they want to, they're want looking for new solutions and to grow in smaller spaces. We have uh, Gen X who could be, you know, wanting to have something for their kids, wanting to finally they've moved into a bigger house, it's time for them to do that. So, we know that the influx has been millennials, and I think that definitely bleeds into to Gen X, but it's this new, it's the sort of conscious private citizen is really the bigger overarching idea that we don't, we can't structure people just in their demographics. I think the real structure is socioeconomics, you know, do they have the space, time, money, etc., to participate? Do they have the desire because of where they where they are and like what their, the laws of their city. And so it's a very, like when we do workshops, we get a spread of all across the people that are, that are, that are getting involved in this. And what we want to show through our app is that the community is that, you know, you can't have a boomer in a millennium. We're not separated like that. I know that, you know, marketing, statistics, etc. does that, but it's, it's, you know, we don't see it that different. We see these as people who desire to grow and we see their pain points and their value propositions, but they're all part of the same community to us, at least.
0: Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> That's brilliant. And anything you want to add and share with, with listeners?
1: What we've done in My Green Space is stage one of helping people grow their own food with confidence. And so what we've created is an app that is a mass garden in your pocket. You download it. It takes your location, which means it has 36 towns, cities, villages in North America, that's Canada, United States, that's Alaska to Miami, Vancouver to Newfoundland. It shows you all the vegetables that can grow in your city. And then you start to do a visual plan of your garden. It asks you how much sunlight. Do you live on a rooftop? Do you have a balcony, a condo, etc? How much space does your garden have? And then from there it shows you a new set of plants that will definitely grow in your new base and constraint. So a balcony in Miami with a couple hours of sun. Here's what you can grow. And you add those to your box. It then companion plants and shows you how to space each of those plants and which should go next to each other. And then you get daily reminders of how to plant, how to water, how to harvest. And If you run into any problems, organic solutions for dealing with pests and diseases. So with that and supplying you with the supplies that you need to get started, we really think that we've created the first iteration of a platform that can truly help people grow with confidence. It's a free download. It's a free app to use. So I encourage people to occupy their gardens and their living spaces, turning them into green spaces, and uh, they'll be very pleasantly surprised by uh, what gardening gets back to them. Go to mygreenspace.co, mygreenspace.co, and it's an iOS and Android app, free iOS and Android. We will be bringing it back to the web next year. But right now, it, it is it is fully mobile-based.
0: Fantastic. Michael, thank you very much for being on the program. And I know there's plenty in here for people to tar- take a hold of that and, and start growing. I just want to add a story of my own. When uh, my daughter was very little, I built some garden beds in the driveway to show her where her food came from. And we had a fascinating situation. We had kids coming up. and This is in a city, of course, but we had kids coming up who would not eat the lettuce out of the garden because it wasn't real lettuce, the real lettuce you found in the grocery store. We had another situation where a mom wouldn't eat the lettuce because it had dirt on it. And that that was a real telling indicator. I mean, my daughter's now almost 30, so a long time ago, and that kind of disconnection has continued. So I really hope that with the ideas that Michael has given you, go to his app, try it out, get started on growing uh, no matter uh, who you are, or where you live, something can be done. So I'm very excited by what we talked about today. When you listen to this, Michael will have already shot his episode, and I will be in Montreal speaking at Spark the Change Montreal, both on evolving leadership consciousness as kind of a TED-style talk and also running a workshop on decision-making in, in ambiguity and uncertainty. So I'm looking forward to that. Please share this program and help me get the podcast out to as many people as possible. Thank you very much for listening in and go to my website for more information from insighttoaction.com. I also write for the Huffington Post blog there monthly. I've got a chapter coming out in Erwin Laszlo's new book on the intelligence of the cosmos that's about the new purpose of business and specifically it's about networking, epigenetics and emotion in the workplace. And I wrote Decision Making for Dummies. So, there you go. That's, that's it. So if I can be of help to you with decision making or advancing your skills to work with unfamiliar territory, please reach out on and Twitter. It's at E-P Donna, D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. Thanks so much.